everyone to the Disco Posse podcast. My name is Eric Wright. I'm going to be your host today. Don't forget to keep following along. You can go to discopossepodcast.com, get show notes, links, and more. You can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. And with that, let's get started. All right, we are here. This is another great session ahead. Uh, welcome to the Disco Posse podcast. My name is Eric Wright. I'm here uh, to talk about some really, really neat stuff. I've always been a big fan of of making the lives of others easier. And uh, I got turned on to a really uh, great group of folks and a neat platform. And even better than neat platform is it's great people that are actually doing stuff with said platforms. Uh, I've got uh, Kelly Goolsby here. Kelly's joining me from Liquid Web. I'll let Kelly do the full introduction, um, but we're gonna talk kind of about uh, the, the managed approach to things, how, how managed services and managed hosting is a really slick way to get folks doing stuff better, faster. Uh, but we're going to talk about a lot of different stuff. With that, Kelly, let's uh, introduce you to to the folks listening, and where can we find you online? Yeah, thanks, Eric. So you can, well, so you can find me online. We'll just talk about that at the end. Um, so I work for a company called Liquid Web, managed hosting provider. Uh, been in the industry since 2003. I worked at the you know, the biggest at the time managed hosting provider. Before that, you could look at my LinkedIn, but Rackspace. Uh, so I've kind of cut my teeth on managed hosting from, you know, selling one gigahertz AMD boxes with uh, half a gig of RAM uh, to the full sort of managed cloud pro service suite of services. Uh, moved to Liquid Web a little while ago and uh, really focused on, you know, kind of helping direct product here. So talking to customers about what they're doing today and how we can make the product fit. Um, so again, you can find me online. I tweet under a real easy handle, uh, Kegel, uh, asterisk Kegel. Uh, K-G-O-O-L, and then I blog occasionally at Liquid Web's blog. Nice. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, I certainly don't want to want to box us into simply a, a product sure. talk because you know, you're, what you've always done and, and what, you, what you're doing here in, in kind of leading product stuff is like solving the customer problems. And, and a lot of folks I talk to through, you know, directly through the, uh, my customer engagements and, and out in the community, and people that I get responses back from the podcast, they love hearing that like, oh yeah, technology's awesome. You know, I love that you talk to vendors and but really what's great about the vendor discussions are, are the, the business outcomes and like the mm-hmm. people outcomes that we get from stuff. And, you know, like one of the big things I wanted to talk to you about is, you know, in the work you're doing and, and the stuff you've seen through your experience in the industry, like what is that real kind of advantage that, like drives people to use managed hosting and, and managed yeah. services and, and what are the wins that they can hope to get from that? Great question. And, and let me preface when I say I work with product, I really literally work with product. So <laughs> yeah, my, you're my, very I, literal. <laughs> I am. I am not in product. My job is to be self solution architecture, right? So we bring in the, you know, a customer, we're talking to a customer list of requirements. Uh, it doesn't always start with managed hosting, right? Being in the industry for a long time, it often starts just like, someone I deal with now with a list of servers, right? We literally get a shopping list. Here's what I need. And, and so what it, you know, we seek to do, one with my job in solution architecture, pre-sales, uh, and with managed services is step back, right? I, I don't want to just, you know, you give me a list of servers and I go fill it out and get within a, you know, 100 megahertz of the processor you want or whatever. 
right? We're trying to say, what are you solving for? You know, what what is the outcome you expect? Uh, and why are you looking, right? And, and I've been doing this a while. And if you're looking just to get the third quote because it's time to renew or, or you want to put pressure on your vendor to lower price, if you're colo or you don't want to renew hardware, then we'll talk to you. But we're not adding a ton of value, right? It's, it's this, you know, starting in 2003, we were selling against colo, right? Everybody's like, hey, I've got my own data center. We're in that data center so colo. Well, managed is more expensive, right? You can see all kinds of cool TCL calculators on why it's cheaper. At the end of the day, you're going to pay a premium when you look at, you know, Apple stuff. Kumquats or whatever, right? Uh, you have to make that. You know, here's here's what we're actually getting, right? We're slicing the apple or you know adding peanut butter. Uh, that's changed over time, certainly. Yeah, and it, the the thing that you you nailed down there is like if somebody comes to you and and they say like oh, I'm looking for, I'm looking for these five servers. My favorite thing is you can very quickly in a in a real discussion. Be able to say, ah, that's neat. What is it that you're looking to do with those those five servers? Yeah. And sometimes it literally is just like, I just need five servers because that's what I've got today, and I want to get rid of my own five servers and use your five servers. Like, ooh, okay, great. Maybe that is the the the, the outcome that they're seeking. But quite often, just the way that you approach, it, like, a, let's just have a conversational style. Like, ah, oh, hey, thanks for coming over. Like, <clears throat> what 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 is it? What's the kind of hope and, and goal? What do you want to love about what you're about to do here? And very quickly, people will be like, oh, yeah, well, I've got this neat application I'm trying to build. And, and like, oh, okay, does it use any other services? And just in a very simple conversation, you know, some would call it technical discovery. That's like the, the what it really right. is. But it's like going through and saying, like, what, what's, what is it you want to get, get out of this? And, and, you know, how did you come to find us? And, and using that approach... And what other like very, very good managed providers I've found and just people that work in that experience, just let's make it warm and welcoming. And then people are more likely because if they know they've got a, a human on the other side of that phone, they're probably going to be more incented to do more things via that human. <laughs> right. Even, even yeah, though I, we've got this aim of like, I just want to buy servers. Just give me an API. I just want servers. Right. Like, okay, maybe, maybe this isn't exactly the one you want. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I would say it's always, it can seem a little salesy and I, you know, because I worked in, in actual cell cells and in pre-sales, technical sales, um, you have to explain why you're asking the question, right? Because I can sell you all the neat features in the world. Like you remember when, when, you know, AWS was in its infancy and, you know, clouds were growing everywhere. Everybody had autoscale, right? We got to talk about autoscale. Autoscale is a big deal. And there were two or three companies that did autoscale on top of a cloud. That's great if I need autoscale, right? If my business problem is that I need, you know, have such an unanticipated growth spike that I can't control it in another way, autoscale is awesome, right? But if I'm growing the hockey stick, the traditional, I just need to add capacity. The cost of that doesn't make sense for the business outcome, right? But, you know, you've been doing your in that level between a business owner and a sales guy and technologists and they're on both sides, we hope we can, you know, really figure out the business requirement is, right? If you, if you know I'm going to grow in October and I'm going to steadily grow more in November, I'm still not what you need. You need to scale, right? And so we try to strip that back, but sometimes those questions can be awkward. Okay, like, hey, I just came to you with a list. I want to quote, why are you asking all these questions, right? But we like to sell the managed service features that relate to the business need and those change, right? Those are a lot different today in 2019 than they were in 2010 or three or whenever. 
And what's interesting too is the people that you're talking to quite often, like they're a super technical person. It's very tough to sell something to a super technical person because they tend to ask you very challenging questions for the most, like the biggest goal, especially is they want to assert like, hey, I know what I'm doing here. Yeah. And they want to kind of set the tone of, of any conversation that you're going to have in the relationship to be like, look, you're not, you're, I'm not just getting this because I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I really know what I want to the, down to the spec. And as a result of that, so when you talk to me, keep that in mind, it, whether it's said or, or unsaid, that's usually the, the feeling I get. And it's fun when you can have that real conversation and accept that, like, yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm not going to snow you here. This is a neat thing I think you may be interested in. <laughs> absolutely. And it's real powerful to say, you know what, you know more about this to me, right? Especially when you meet with founders. Like I've, you know, I can think of a dozen times in the last seven, eight years, I've been on the phone with a founder who, yeah, a PhD from Berkeley or, and you know, he literally developed the tech. I know more about that than him, right? It, it kind of goes to, I think, you know, you and I, Kind of whiteboard out some things to talk about briefly, but how we've changed the model of the solution architect as well. Um, because you know, it used to be that our solution architects, we'd bring them in an interview, we'd be like, hey, you're gonna be really good at something, right? They were a Windows tech or they were a storage admin or they were whatever. Uh, and we say, hey, you probably know a ton of storage, you know, a little networking user in storage, you know, some OS, or you know, a lot of OS and a little storage. And so we'd rate that, and then you as long as you do. OS, some basic application stack, storage and networking, you could be a pre-sale solution architect, right? Those are the five, four or five major categories you needed. That model is turned on its head, right? We, the pre-sales people have had to become more like a developer, right? You have to, because again, we talked, we did it on a second ago, you know, figuring out if you need this number of cores or this number of, of processors, isn't as important anymore when you can scale that stuff via an API or, or even quickly in a, you know, a traditional managed hosting deployment. Uh, it's much more important to talk about the application in. Uh, but you, you have to think more like a developer. You have to, you know, that's a big thing with my training solution architects over the last four to six years. You had to think more about security. You had to think more about users. Uh, you had to think more about the developer. We're kind of the big, the big changes, right? Yeah, and I love that the I think the developer mindset, you know, hey, the, you know, whatever if it's the new kingmakers or whatever, whatever thing we want to attribute to this shift in how developers have an incredible power to drive the direction of a lot of their companies, and and I've like I've worked in a lot of environments. I've talked to people that are like big financials, especially, and like they literally have more developers than most technology companies, and and they are they're doing really interesting things. So when we're talking to them and when I talk to them about infrastructure stuff or, or anything, the, the lens that they apply to it has got to be one that I can see through as well. And like how you, you talked a bit about how you're kind of doing more developer led training and developer side training. Mm -hmm. Like how, how did you make that jump to like, and, and is the developer feeling like, uh, a percentage more, like a 50% of your conversation stuff is dev focused? I'd, I'd be curious to see your view on your experiences. Yeah, it depends on who you're talking to. You know, it's, it's the more mature, to a point, the more mature the organization, the less it's developer led, right? Because there are some of them, we're, we're in a business line, right? Where they're using a box software product, right? And so development doesn't matter there. Um, 
a big enough company that they're writing their own application, certainly you talk to developers. Usually they're shielded for a little while before you talk to them in pre-sales. Smaller companies, often developer-centric. But it, you know, it kind of flows. I was telling someone earlier about um, the application that we use to book travel. It's terrible. And we've had a feature request in since I worked here, a year and a half. Um, companies like that that have that entrenched sort of I do business with the enterprise can wait a year on a feature request, right? But yeah. people that are building apps, if I want that feature, I can go out and do my own travel in an app store and find that feature in eight apps, right? So it can't wait. So again, the middle, I think you really, we don't deal with developers, right? There's someone who's dependent on whatever the company is, you know, SAP or I, whatever. Um, but yeah, big and small, we're often talking to developers or developer, you know, driven project managers, things like that. And I find even the, the, the business, like the product owners and like just business leaders, they, they're way more in tune to like the applications and, yeah. and the stuff that's powering their business more so than, you know, even whether it's a SaaS thing or, but versus like 20 years ago when I was kind of just rolling in the industry in my early part of my career, and it, you know the CIO used to be somebody who worked in one of the business lines, and they're like, "Hey, you're good at accounting. Let's <laughs> you go in and, and CIOs were like budget management and keeping the tech yeah. people under control." Versus now, it's like, "Oh, I know you're a transformative part of this company. Get it done." <laughs> Absolutely. We we used to joke that, and you've probably heard this before. The CIO must have just come back from a conference, right? Because everybody <laughs> got excited about this. That's right. It, it is, and you know that's for a long time. But everything in the cloud, and you know, even three years ago, everything has to go into containers. But now you're getting smarter questions, right? I still run into the odd client who says, I need to take this app running on an old version of MySQL, OPHP, and throw it in containers. I'm like, eh, that might not work. What I am getting is a lot smarter questions, right? Like, this piece of my application, it does need to scale in, a, in an ephemeral way, right? It can, and we're like, hey, that can go in, in containers, right? <laughs> it's much different than, than the lifted ship. You still get some. I need to lift and shift this because someone said it's cheaper. But I think that's part of the value of a managed host. To go back to the first question, is is actually and, and it, it's a fine line, right? I, and I always train our guys that you don't want to be selling it's fun, right? It, was, it used to be, hey, we're a managed host. It's going to be more expensive, but you you know you're going to pay almost more if you go to the cloud. Well, you might, right? But you you pay for that return on innovation, right? So we're we're doing a lot more around. This app should go here, this app should go there, uh, and helping people understand, right, when something's not fit, right? We're a managed host, we're really good at these things. We are not really good at that, and I would tell you to put that in one of the higher scales, right? And, and we are looking at, it's kind of a, a hot debate among the managed hosts kind of in the managed hosting space, is do you go support that, right? Do you go build out managed services on top of the hyperscale clouds? Right. Yeah. Like you, you provide the consulting services for other infrastructure. It's a good point. And I mean, that's a, that's an interesting challenge, but again, like the consultative approach to, mm -hmm. to what you're doing is I think people really get the value of that today much more again, like, like than 10 years ago where I was like, ah, you know, I don't want to pay a consultant. I want to make yeah. sure that I've got that talent insourced. And now people are like, Hey, I insourced that talent and that talent got hired by a managed provider because mm -hmm. they were so bloody good at it that they, they became valuable to a cloud company or a tech vendor. Yeah. So now people are like, Hey, look, I was going to lose it anyways. Why not treat it as a, 
like pardon the phrase, like a commodity, like a thing that I'm going to get mm-hmm. immediate value from. And then it'll live and run beyond, beyond that moment. And if we net need more help, I've got the team to lean on. It's, it's the yeah. same reason that you buy, you buy floors from Home Depot to be installed versus going to a, the tile place that can get you cheaper tiles. Because if I go to Home Depot and there's a problem in five years, Home Depot is going to be there to help me with the problem. Even if it's a different installer, it's still Home Depot versus the tile joint that I got a real great discount on is gone. And now right. I've got two problems, you know? So that's why I like the managed people love that, like the access to consultancy. I, I'm hearing much more. And, and personally, I, I dig it. You know, I, I don't want to pay more, but I also want to have a trust factor that I can get by yeah. knowing there's people behind it. And it's hard to keep up. Right. I mean, even in, take all the hyperscale out and take, you know, whatever out, but everything even touches managed hosting, it's hard to keep up with, right? Like it used to be, I go pick block of file storage, right? Now do I want hyper-converged storage or do I want some other overlay to my storage? You know, networking is, is certainly more complicated with, uh, with SD-WAN and SDN. Um, it's, it, I'm not saying someone can't keep up with all of it, but you and I are both in this space where you're, you're, thinking about these things, it's hard to keep up with, right? And so having a defined consultant with that group behind them, who, who yeah, it's a, again, the general specialist model, right? I need to be an inch deep and a mile wide, or I need to be really, really deep on storage substances. And, and knowing when to work back that, right? And that's what the pre-sale solution architect should be doing. Uh, you have to find someone that, that could admit they don't know, right? To the customer and to internal teams. So bit of a challenge, but we're, we're pretty good at finding them. They, they typically aren't always the hardcore techies, um, but they're also not, you know, just a, a sales marketing guy. So it's tough to find that hybrid. Uh, but if they're, you know, that model is changing just like the managed hosting model. I actually, quick funny anecdote about eight years ago during the rise of the cloud, I had a, a VP at the company I worked at at the time said, hey, if you are the type of Linux tech that goes in and fixes Apache and, you know, troubleshoots a PHP module, you're not going to have a job in eight years. Because he was solely bought into the pets versus cattle. And I think what we see now in 2019, there's still a lot of pets out there, right? So, but that, that is. a lot of pets, a lot of pets, yeah. And I think the other thing that's interesting is, you know, it became the whole multi-cloud, right? I think we thought in, you know, 2012 or so, especially that everybody would have this one application and that I would, you know, and we're seeing some of that, right? I'm going to have it in two or three clouds and I'm going to have it in my data center and I'm going to merge between them. What I see more is organizations, you know, different business lines happening in different places, uh, and they look to a managed hosting provider to help rationalize that, right? What should I put with you? What should I keep in house? What should, you know, drop into S3 or whatever? Yeah, and, and I, my favorite thing, God, I remember this, I think uh, I, I generally always attribute the pets versus cattle thing to Randy Bias, and, and I don't, I'm pretty sure he wasn't actually the originator of it, and he credits the right person, but I'll still always credit Randy. Uh, <laughs> and what I love was I said, number one, uh, we, have you ever heard of milk cows? Yeah, they live a long time, and we, we really keep using them. So, And secondly, depending on where you are geographically in the world, Cattle are very valuable to some, <laughs> some societies, way more yeah. than pets. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I always dreaded that thing. And, you know, and I, I used to joke, I said, like, some call it legacy. I call it production. Like, yeah. I, ran, I ran huge data centers, and those data centers were filled with stuff that was 
terrifyingly old, written in languages that were probably not even in existence anymore <laughs> on products that you couldn't upgrade because they would just, it would die. And so it was this kind of like a time capsule of software development history that you just kept running and, and it, it would go down every once in a while and be like, oh, clear, boom, you know, like you'd, you'd sit there and, and get it back up and be like, whoo, thank goodness I got it back up and running. And then we would just, we just took that thing and we virtualized it with a P to V process. And then, so now at least the hardware was out of the way, but it was running a part of the business and we just didn't have the time to throw into refactor. Like you said, is this the right thing you should jam in and containerize? Probably not. Like what's the ROI on refactoring and rebuilding this application? Why not just throw it in the cloud so that it, it lives next to your other stuff or throw it in your managed provider or throw it on dedicated managed hardware? Uh, you know, it's not, it's not wrong to run this uh, like multi-tiered, like, you know, like multi-sourced architectures. And that's another thing that just tell me about your history. I'd love to hear your stories on these ones. So, you know, we always get rid of old technology to adopt new stuff, right? Wink, wink. Of course we don't. We run five generations of technology. Uh, have you yeah. ever gone on to a project, Kelly, where they said, okay, we're going to get rid of this, and then two years later you're doing both things? <laughs> oh, absolutely. absolutely. You know, it's, and, and again, uh, whether it's current company, last company, we, our systems work, the internal systems, right? But we care about our core business and serving our customers and iterating there. So sometimes the internal systems we use are old as well, just because they work, right? And we're not exposed to customers. Uh, so we'd rather update things that are customer facing. So we, you know, technology companies bring those things along as well. It's kind of the, what is it? The toddler's child has no shoes, right? That's right, yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, I've seen it before. And again, nobody wants to be the last blockbuster, right? I think we've all seen that, I think, on, on Reddit. I almost said dig, I'm showing my age there. Um, but, <laughs> but uh, or slash dot, right? But this is the last blockbuster. Someone kept it because the, the community loves the franchise, right? So they, they keep, kept it. So, I, but I do think it's a bridge, right, for, for managed hosts. Like, I don't know, it was probably a year ago that, uh, and before this, this job, so about a year and a half ago, uh, that we sold a great deal. And then at the end, the customer said, oh, everything hooks to an AIX, and that's in my data center. And, you know, I, again, 2003, they were still, they're a little more common than now, right, the, the mainframe. But you don't put that in a normal managed hosting environment, right? You have service contract and, an IBM bar has to come out and, and service it, right? Or, you know, on data center sites, so your typical managed hosting kind of blows out your, your sock, you know, and all your controls because you don't let those guys in. We don't lose the deal, right? You have some other cool applications. So we found out a way to bring it along. Um, and I suspect those things will be out there for a long time. You know, the old Sparks and the AIXs and things like that. Um, it, it goes to that thing we said is a managed host forever. Like worry about the things that are core to your business and let us worry about the rest. That goes down to applications as well, right? If this application is working and you've got other things, you know, a new mobile app or a new feature or whatever that is exciting, that is bringing in new customers and driving revenue, then why go spend the money on the old app, right? You'd rather have your developers doing something new and cool, right? That, that adds to the bottom line. Uh, and they'd rather be doing that as well, I think, right? They'd, they'd much rather be doing something in a cool new framework than, than going in and figure out how to take this 20-year-old application and move it. Yeah, absolutely. And 
The other thing that's challenging too is we, we as technologists, we get sort of like we latch on to the shiny new, new toy a lot. And, and that's how yeah, we've ended up with such a sporadic array of products that we have to support in any single environment because mm. that's what it is. It's like, I'm curious if you look across kind of the stuff you've had to support where you're at today and even in the past, like every company thinks that they're unique and then the more and more I see all these unique IT deployments, uh, they're not actually unique. I think everybody has the same kind of weird matrix of 10-year-old stuff that's, you know, right next to the latest and greatest. Yeah, and, and it's really I, yeah. mixed and matched. Do you find that diversity's present a lot? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's kind of, it goes to the, even for a man provided the bill versus buy too, right? Where... I think at one point, you know, I I saw saw up to five different monitoring systems in a in a managed associate company, right? Because the VMware team needed to to operationalize VR ops and the, the critical support team wanted to do app dynamics, and then you had the infrastructure team that managed everything that was totally built out of Nagios, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then acquisition, right? You go buy a company and they have their own stuff, then you have five or six different monitoring products. When you, you know, some are bought, some are built, uh, but they're all different. They're all added on to, right? And, and yeah, security is, I think, a place you're seeing it a lot now. And, and I think as a managed hosting provider, we, as an industry, are starting to realize, too, that we don't need to build everything, right? If we, we can just go buy it and provide it to a customer and add some value on top, right? Handle the, the first tier alerts, tell you what it means, get the signal from the noise, uh, there's a great value there, right? I always go back to the, the oh, the target, right, hack that they had a couple of the systems alert them to the, uh, the vulnerability. Nobody had time to look at it or understood it. Right? That's right. right. It's, a, it's a great use case. And again, you know, that's a, a kind of a rise in the industry too, is SOC as a service. Uh, tough one, it's, you know, it's a, it's an easy, fairly easy leap to make to, to show the ROI. It's an expensive model to deliver because everybody's security needs are different. Um, but yeah, I mean, multiple security products, right? I've, I've seen everything from, we just go look at tripwire logs every day to, you know, we're a full outsource SOC. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, everybody's excited and wants to build something cool. And the, the interesting thing in like, as you find folks that are like really exploring and, and they look for, yeah, what's the right thing to based on the new stack? Like, you know, mm -hmm. is is there some products out there? Like, is there a SaaS version of the existing product? And and we revisit those decisions a lot more, I think, than we used to. I find, um, you know, but I'm also a little, maybe I'm a little bit too close to it because I'm always looking <laughs> at the industry. Do you find that? Uh, like based on whether they're small and medium businesses and enterprises, do you find there's like, does technology last longer? Do they go back to the well more often? Is there a, a way that that lays out differently yeah. in the different sectors? It does. Yeah. Because, well, mainly because the things that enterprises are buying, right. You're, you're, you're not off as often buying SaaS, right. Take, Oh, you know, whatever it is, right? Uh, you're you're going to go do a, an Oracle ERP deployment, or you're going to, uh, um, you know, do a a big, you know, managed app dynamic stack for monitoring. 
those things you're invested in, right? You're, you're buying hardware for that deployment. You're, you're training people in that deployment. You're uh, uh, integrating, right? There's some, some level of integration. Uh, you know, to a great extent, obviously, it's changed a little now, but Salesforce kind of built that, you know, SaaS for business marketplace. Um, and they've got a ton of, of you know, lock, I say lock, it, well, it is lock-in, right? But it works so people don't move. Uh, but other stuff, right? Like HR software or or monitoring software, like we talked about, it's a lot more affordable. Um, you know, you're you're not as concerned about you know uh, investment because it is a SaaS. There's a minimal investment, uh, so it does make people considerably more affordable. And they're not you know thinking in five to seven year cycles, you know, a year to two. And so we see a lot of application change out there. Uh, you know, the one the one I've heard a lot recently is you know. Moving off SharePoint to WordPress, I've had customers that, you know, this is talking about front end CMS, uh, they switch back and forth two or three times. Or I, I like it to the Manhattan real estate model or the San Francisco real estate model, right? I get just enough office space for what I need this year because I'm going to move again. I can't afford to go buy in, in San Francisco or New York for three years. You just can't do it. That's right. right. You, you yeah, I'll re-up when I need fact. to. <laughs> yeah, and we're in Texas. We would never think about that. It's crazy, right? There's always land. There's going to be more land. But people buy the product that fits their needs in, and, you know, eventually we're going to have to go, you know, we go public, so we're going to have to, to have a different reporting standard. So we'll change the HR software out then, or we'll change whatever, or we'll add this. So, yeah, it, it changes as the organization grows. People buy what they need. It's kind of just in time IT. I think the, the other thing that, I love about like the managed approach is also that as an IT org, I know that I like that continuous, you know, ear on the ground of, mm -hmm. of how things are going is being done by a group of people who have a vested interest in their success and knowing where the future is. And I can let my kind of, my team be like, Hey, keep your uh, laser focus on, on what's actually getting deriving business value for me. And then I know that, I like, guess, yeah, so as new hardware comes out, new services become available, new software stacks become, you know, available. I can look to my managed team and say, like, ah, okay, cool. Uh, oh, look at that! You know, there's a new thing in the liquid red catalog. Let's let's take a look at it. And and even if it's not just the new thing, but the way that you manage the existing things that you may be able to do yourself. Like, if I'm a, running a small data center, you know, or a moderate sized data center do I really want to own power cooling availability versus like stand up vSphere traditional virtualization stack and have it be fully managed? I, it's not hard to do the ROI and I've done it where I actually looked at one point, my, my organization that I was with, we had a data center that was sitting in a, a regular office building. So we didn't have, 24 7 365 access to operations teams we had uh like an, a location where the building itself had mandatory semi-annual power downs for <laughs> two days and so for me it was like okay well i i did disaster recovery and business continuity so twice a year we had disaster recovery tests you know <laughs> and i would literally fail over the entire environment to a secondary location it was a great pairing with what i needed to do for my regulatory requirements but i was like oh man so we looked at the cost of what if i took this and i moved it to either like buy my own rack or go with a managed provider 
Well, we looked at a managed offering and it was like, oh, it's going to be like X thousands of dollars per month. And everybody sort of balked at the number. And I said, well, what, what do you think would cost us to run our data center today? And once I took the amortization and all that stuff away, which is all like goofy, funny money, like they're just CFOs hiding the, the amount you actually <laughs> spend on stuff. Once you added the fact that we had no, no 24-7, 365 operations, we didn't have secondary power, we didn't have five nines guarantee, it was like, oh. And we, we actually in turn were spending almost like to the dollar the same amount yep. without any of those assurances. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, oh, that's a, it's actually brain dead and simple. I'm going to move to a management provider. <laughs> that's why I, it's funny. I always tell my people, right? It, it's, we're in a day and age where I can do all my work via Zoom and video and Google Hangouts and WebEx if you still use that, whatever. But going out and talking to a client and, and again, consulting in their office is, is great. Uh, years ago, I was with a client in Oklahoma City and I said, well, we're going to show you our data server because it's a lot more secure. And I said, great. And the guy says, well, let's go see it. He's in the office. And I said, cool. And I said, do we need to go to security sign in? He goes, oh, don't worry about it. I think my badge or, or John's, I would the guy at the desk next to him, still has permissions for the data center, even though we don't work in there anymore. So he leads me in and his, you know, his permissions have not been updated, you know, like you do at a managed provider. That's another thing. And you talk about it with the Hyperscale Clouds, right? They they are making sure that that the things they shouldn't access they can't, and you know, they're doing security for me, training for their employees, all managed providers do. And I just tailgate him into the data center. Nobody knew we were in there, you know? And <laughs> so that's the thing. And again, you don't want to go beat the pie over the head. You just want to say, hey, here's something you might not have thought about, right? That, that we can provide you that we know is more secure. Um, but there is that perception that I can go out and touch it. It's secure. And the other one, and again, I'm, I'm on the solution architecture side. So we're in between, you know, sales and marketing. But there are a lot of TCO tools out there that'll show you that that equation you talked about, right? Amortizing hardware. And it used to be cool to, it, so that's an interesting you see it all, a couple of sidelines here. We have clients over here and they send us a hardware list. We're like, hey, why does your web server have 128 gigs of RAM? And they go, well, that's something we just sold us because we needed a future proof for five to seven years, right? And so buy what you need and whether that's in the cloud with an API or with a managed social provider, you're on flexible lease, you can just switch it out, right? You don't need 128 gigs of RAM in your web server. Right? I'd rather sell you four web servers for less so you can have some resiliency. Um, but in those costing calculators, the big cost factor where, where if you want to manage hosting your services provider to look cheaper, you have to figure in some labor, right? Whether that labor is just going to labor hourly or, hey, you're running this database, you're going to need DBA. DBA is 150 grand a year minimum, depending on where you are. You plug that into the tool, and of course, someone's like, hey, we're not big enough to go hire a full time DBA. You're like, okay, well, half time or hourly or whatever. Um, what you typically get with smaller companies is, hey, I do that myself, right? And I've had from founders through CTOs to just the, the guy who says, I do that myself, right? I don't need someone to go in and set up Easter, I do it myself. And so then the argument or the, the discussion is, what could you be doing, right? Yeah, you can do that. But how is your, <laughs> I don't want to, you're, you're not really just selling an ego, but you are, right? These guys who are smart and have this great idea and built this app. I don't want to be setting up vSphere and, and HA access rules and DRS, right? Let us do that for you and you go spend your time building something else. And again, it sounds like a marketing argument, but it's really, really true. It, it, well, it is. And having, I think a lot of folks, we have this weird, like, especially as technologists, we have, we have a tough time letting go of just like, oh, I know how to do that. And it mm -hmm. feels like 
it, it feels like you you want to pay less for it because you know how to do it. And I think that's why it's a, it's a challenging sales discussion when you have to talk about pricing a service relative that somebody's already doing. It's one thing if it's, you know, mm-hmm. so I pay for, I actually literally just switched over. I'm using a monthly like billing service for accounting for my, my own stuff that I do. Right. And terrifying to think that I'm going to pay, you know, $60 a month for this mm-hmm. goofy cloud service. And I started to think, I'm like, oh, why am I paying for this when I just don't need to? And I realized I'm like, it was really easy to go, why am I paying for this? Because I don't know how to do this. And right. so there was no there was no value that I could make it relative to what I was spending on. The hard part sometimes is when people are like, they don't notice the 45 minutes a day they're doing something. They're just like, that's mm-hmm. part of their day. So like, ah, you know, like when people commute, they don't, they count how long is their train ride. I always ask people that are going into Toronto. I'm like, how long is your commute? Oh, it's uh, 37 minutes. Like that's a, that's a very exact number. They're like, yeah, I catch the six o'clock and it gets me into the station at 637. Like, oh, that's neat. How long does it take you from the station to the office? Oh, that's about a 15 minute walk. Like how long does it take you to get to the parking lot? Oh, it's about a 25 minute drive. I'm like, so you don't have a 37 minute commute, do you? <laughs> no, that's a, that's a great aside because when I really need to get something done, I work from home, right? I, my time's more efficient without that commute. But the same argument you made, I don't mow my own lawn, right? I can mow my own lawn, but during that you know hour a week, there's something else I could be doing. Uh, my wife and I dispute that it is or is not more valuable because it might be reading Stephen King novel or watching the show, but you know, it's, it's that recharge time is valuable too. But as a man, yeah, the other thing on managed hosting, and this happens, I hear this at least once a week or two, we have to help piece back together a client's architecture, right, at the application down level, because the guy who knew about it left the company. Um, and that's a tough one, right? That's, that's, and so what do you do then, right? That, that, you know, if he's a founder, it's a different problem, right? But if he's a guy you put every, all your faith in, and he knows where everything is, where the bodies are buried, and what connects to what, that's hard to go rebuild, right? If, right? if he leaves, if he leaves early, it's relatively easy, but if he leaves later, it's tough, <laughs> you know. Now, one of the things as well, I really want to tap into because you've got such a, a unique sort of set of skills and experience. What are are some of the the lessons you've you've captured mm-hmm. along the way as you're yeah. looking at building those customer facing solutions? Because it's you have to have a vested interest in the success of it on behalf of somebody else, which is very different than being keenly aware from day to day how something runs. So you have to architect with only the set of requirements that you've been given. So how, how does yeah. that work in the way that you approach things? Yeah, it's tough. Um, so a couple of things I thought about this when you, you, I get this question um, earlier. So to think about, but number one, you, you mentioned it. We always don't, we can't always rely on what we've been given. So we're going to do a call, right? And, and again, if it's, if I don't like to design something via email only, <laughs> You know, sometimes with the language barrier, we're working in Skype, but we have to meet the customer where they are. But we also are going to ask, hey, some of this is easier in a phone call, right? And so if we can do that, we try to do a phone call. Uh, the other is please have your people on there. The people that are that are going to be stakeholders, I want to talk to them. Whether, you know, they don't are comfortable with the sales process, because I mentioned to you earlier, sometimes the person getting a quote at a bigger organization is a, a project manager, right, who's helping 
do this thing. And part of their job in the, on the, the racy is to go get a quote, right? It's in their lane. Um, well, I'm happy that project managers are great people. We wouldn't get anything done without them. But they can't ask that. They can answer any question or they can go back and get the answer. We can go back and forth all day. But the biggest thing I tell people is it's everybody on the phone who needs to be there. Because the worst thing is that the people who sold the deal on my end is a managed service provider. And the people who bought the deal on the client side aren't the people who are implementing or using the technology, right? And so we don't want to do that to our sysadmins and implementation people, right? So we try to involve them when we need to. And then from the client side, we want the, the hands-on people involved at some point. Maybe not the first call. Uh, maybe not the last call. But somewhere in between, they need to be on. Um, the other is you can't ask too many questions. And, and it's a tough one. You know, it's it's... It gets into the nuts and bolts, right? I mentioned earlier, it could be how many IOPS do you need for your database? Now it might be, what should your database actually do? Like, what is your worst query on a bad day? You know, what should we solve for when things aren't running well? Uh, right. And so that's a tough question to ask, right? It's tough to ask someone if their baby is ugly, right? <laughs> does, your, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> does your application have really horrible performance? Okay, I need to know that so we can solve for it. Uh, the other thing, and, and we, that internal cynicism uh, you get from me and, and pre-sales technical for so long is every client is going to be the next, right? We're going to be the next eBay. We're doing, not, nobody goes to eBay anymore. They're doing, they're not doing what they were. We're going to be the next Amazon. We're going to be the next YouTube. And what I would say is it's easy to be cynical about that until you actually serve one of those clients who is the next whatever, right? And I had a client in my previous role that scaled from two to 400 servers in, in a matter of weeks. And, wow. and yeah, and they told us a lot of this up front and some of that healthy cynicism was there, right? Hey, you're really going to be the next? Well, turned out they did, right? They got really, really big and we made some design errors, right? Like thinking, hey, there's no way you're going to need to add, you know, to uh, this 100 gig game was big, right? We're talking 400 gig now on networks, but don't worry, you're going to have 50 gig and you'll be fine. Well, turned out they needed 150 gig. So, you know. <laughs> you don't know anymore, right? If someone's going to actually be the next big thing because it happens so quickly. And so you have to listen when a client says that and you have to temper that with budgets and, and reality, right? Well, and the, the ability to, like, you, you have to remove sort of emotion reaction from stuff too. And there's mm -hmm. a distinct advantage when you're approaching it as a managed provider and you're approaching it in like pre-sales discussions because you you have to be a combination of like I'm here for like to do whatever needs to get done to get this done. And at the same time, so they know you've got a vested interest in the success of what's about to happen and what will continue to occur. But then at the same time, you also have the detachment where you don't have the history with the application. Yeah. Or, or the the server, the name of the server, the fact that it's, oh, it's it's old, it's server Pete. Oh, remember Pete, he was the first server we set up. And like, it, we had like, you drew a little eyeball on it because it looked, it was cute. Like, so we have attachments as, as technologists to history within a, mm -hmm. a, a thing. So what's cool is when you can approach it and you do that discovery and like, hey, so what does this application do? And what do you what do you feel is a successful metric by which you measure it? Is it gonna be uptime? Is it performance? Is it whatever? And you go through those things and oh, oh that's a good point, right? How do you want to protect yeah. it? 100% availability. And when I did disaster recovery for one organization, 
everybody said like, okay, is this a tier one or a tier two application? Oh, it's tier one. Like, okay, great. So it costs $3,700 a month for you to build the disaster recovery environment for it. They're like, that's way too expensive. I'm like, okay, <laughs> so what do you think we should do then? They go, well, it's tier two. I'm like, okay, you just, you made that decision based on a number I put in front of you. So if I were to shut this application off right now for an hour, what would happen? Oh, we can't do that because it's running our call center. I'm like, okay, so it's <laughs> tier one. Like that's like, you can- right think of like, what's the real reason? And then other ones were like, oh, this is super important. Well, what happens if the application goes away? Well, we actually only run this like as a batch process once a week. So we could probably go away and, all, and it allows them to, through you, detach from the emotional bond yeah. they had to this thing. And so it's, as a business owner, as a, it's, it's good to talk to somebody that doesn't, have this vested interest otherwise you'll just both spin it up like oh god i don't know we're gonna be able to migrate the server like, <laughs> like no we can yeah. do this it's just like trust me a lot of that line is one of the stories you see when you meet face to face right so in my previous role sitting with a financial services provider of some size right uh we started talking about their dr and they you know they said we everything we buy in duplicate right if we go buy their extensive machines right we buy at least you know for the for the interior architecture we're buying at least one of every tier Right. We may not buy 10 web servers for DR, but we're buying one and we config it on a config bench and, you know, we get it all up and running and then we put it literally, they put it in a movie truck and their, their DR data center was around 300 miles away. So, you know, something like 250 is, is geographically isolated. Go out there, they set it up, they network it, and they've got, you know, at the time, redundant PLS between both or they actually fiber it into a backup. And I said, great, that's amazing. That's a lot more than most clients do. And I said, so when you test and you can see everyone in the room look at each other, right? I don't, <laughs> <laughs> I, it was just such an awkward thing. And then everyone laughed, right? It was a little bit disarming, but there, there were reasons they weren't testing, right? It wasn't just, hey, we're not going to test these. But, you know, testing's hard to do. And so, you know, that's a reaction you wouldn't have seen. And, and it disarmed the whole thing. And we ended up being a DR provider to help with that need at the time. Um, but it's, you know, there, there's a reason. So you talk about them being emotional. It was quite emotional. I'm sure it was someone's fault in the room, but you know. Yeah. Well, and it's it, the other thing you get, like, I've actually had it where I had this discussion with somebody and it was a thing. It was like, yeah, so how often do you do your testing? I'm assuming it's, it's, it's at least once a year, but like, do you, do you do it semi-annual? Do you do it quarterly? And I literally heard the, like, the hands go over the microphone. Let's go. How often are we testing this thing? And like, and then you could tell, you just hear this whisper, and they're like, "I don't care. I can't remember the last time we did it." And we're like, and "Like, oh, oh no, oh no! I think I just I exposed a real problem here. I felt yeah. I felt kind of bad, but I was like, well, if I hadn't asked, they probably wouldn't have thought about it.' And and it's tough. Like, they're that's why, you know, uh, we we're as we get close to the end here. I could we could talk for hours about this, but my love and why I'm so happy that you came on and I, I would urge folks take a, take a peek at liquid web. This is my favorite thing is giving uh, yeah, unsolicited uh, product pitches. Mm -hmm. you know? So I, I really, I, I poured over the stuff that, that your team does. I, I love the approach you've got. The way you tell the story is, is awesome. The, and just, I'm glad like Lily, you didn't tell me a thing about what you do. Uh, so that's perfect. So there's no better commercial than the fact that we just talked for an hour and people are going to want to look at it. So tell people, go to Liquid Web, check it 
out. And if you're looking at anything, it's like, think about the thing that you would rather spend your money and time on and is day-to-day operations and, and standing up metal the thing you want to do or other services or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, uh, I'm a fan of what you, what you and your folks are doing and, and also you're a great writer. Uh, so yeah, uh, uh-huh. read, uh, read Kelly's blogs and, and, uh, and keep an eye on Twitter. There's some good stuff going on. I always, I appreciate folks that are, that, you know, very beautifully represent their company by representing the community and the technologists that are in it. So you, you also do a great job of that, Kelly. So uh, thank you for, for that approach. Thanks a lot, Eric. Really enjoyed the hour. Maybe we do it again here in six months to a year. Be good. Yeah, definitely. Right. I want to get caught up as we as as things go on. So again, let's make sure we remind yep. folks where they can find you online and such, and and yep. then hopefully we'll get a chance to catch up again soon. Yep, at Kegel on Twitter and the Liquid Web blog. Excellent. All right, folks. Thanks again, uh, Kelly. Uh, and for people that are catching up, it's almost time. If you're watching, if you're listening to the live one, we're going to be going to, I've got Microsoft Ignite coming up. I hate saying things that are event-based in a, on a calendar because if people listen to this in, a, in two months, they'll be like, Ignite already happened. Uh, but for folks that are keen to get connected, uh, I'm going to be there with my team and we're doing the coffee exchange, uh, hopefully going to do some runs. Uh, so keep an eye on my blog at discoposse.com. Of course, you can go to Disco Go Posse podcast, uh, catch this uh, show notes, and, and, and we'll have contact info for Kelly on this one. Uh, thanks again, Kelly. Uh, we'll yeah. see you all soon. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll catch up an event. Do swing by if you're at any upcoming event. I would love to catch up in real life. Will do. Thanks, Eric. Awesome. Thanks. You're listening to the Disco Posse Podcast.